FMX Network production. A series of the most exciting action imaginable. Welcome to the Leanne Re-Raceables on PulpMX.com. Mathis and Weege revisit the instant classics from yesteryear, spotlighting those historic moto moments that simply never grow old. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Lee at Re-Raceables podcast. Thank you for listening. Appreciate it. Tell a friend, subscribe, all of that stuff. Uh, Lee at uh, brand new uh, stuff from those guys coming out all the time, uh, whether it's gloves, helmet, flex lock boots, uh, the protective gear for mountain biking, as well as uh, neck braces that they you know invented and, and way back in the day and have refined since then. Liat is a promise of what is to come. Liat will be with you the whole way, whether it's moto or mountain bike. Liat.com for more information. And the best part is you can send us a email using the contact form on pulpamex.com and we will send you a code to save with Liat. Thank you to those guys. Decal Works, Scott Goggles, Maxis, Guts, all on board with us also. So thank you to those companies. We'll tell you about them more later. But it's the end of July which means the Amateur Nationals at Loretta Lynn's is rolling up. And uh, who better to, to look back at uh, Lee at Re-Raceables at the Loretta Lynn's race than the man who's been the voice for a long time there, either uh, covering it as a reporter or uh, in the booth live announcing. Jason Wygan, what's up, Weech? Yeah, catch the fever, Steve. Loretta's week. You going to make it this year? I'm not going to make it. I am oh, no. I am going to make it, though. I, I, I'm going to put my public vow out here now. I will, I will okay. be there. I need okay. to go for a day or two. I do. Yeah, as we said on our last review pod, it's just epic bench racing. And I know you're there for that. And with people you're buddies with, with a lot less stressful schedule, you know, our Fridays and Saturdays are pretty booked at the pro races. There's yeah. a lot more time to just um, bro down here. And I think yep. it's probably changed since 1998, the last time I was there. Uh, You know, I feel like it hasn't actually that much. Oh, okay. Um, So, yeah, I don't know. I guess maybe there's more buildings and stuff, but I feel like the same. I, I don't know. Okay. You could drop me off in uh, 2002, 2003, but we're going to be right. talking out here, uh, here or now, and to me it's all the same. Uh, first yeah. year you went was what? Uh, actually, O two, which okay. I'm highly disappointed because Stu's last year was O one. I never saw Stu race Loretta's. Okay. Uh, I went in O two. Uh, to I was working for the company at the time, but they didn't. I wasn't wasn't even an announcer yet, so I was just there to do the cycle news story. Actually, and uh, I had also just started riding uh, that summer for the first time in my life, and broke my navicular right off the bat. It's a good introduction. So. Uh, I remember carrying around a clipboard. I had a cast on. I'm right-handed. My right wrist had a cast on. And I remember trying to hold the clipboard all day with my right casted arm and trying to write notes with my left hand <laughs> Jeez. To, to write the cycle news story. Right, yeah. right. Um, yeah. I was uh, – in 98, uh, I went there. It was uh, Pastrana, Nick Way. Uh, I think Stu was there in maybe 80s. Sure. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, and then there was an industry race I raced also. Um, there that was, is wild. Do they do that now or no? They don't. No, okay. I've never even heard of such a thing. Like, yeah, that was, must have come and gone pretty quick. There was an industry race. Uh, Robbie Renard raced. Uh, it wasn't happening. Industry. But, yeah, industry race. Uh, he just while in the middle of his pro career. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yep. It's good. Made a lot mm-hmm. of sense. And then um, 
Little known, the Honda Houston guys got me a bike. It was a 98 CR250 that was a 330 or whatever they did it, whatever Big Boar was. And, uh-huh. and it turned out that it would be this guy named Thomas Fichter's bike. Unbelievable. I know. And Our then buddy I be- Thomas. And then I became friends with Thomas Fichter, you know, 20 years later. But, yeah, I rode his bike. And he said, I remember some goon riding my bike at Loretta's. I'm like, yep. that was me. 98. Checks out. Yeah, checks out. So, anyways, uh, that was uh, that was my, my Loretta's week. But, um, so, I guess I asked you to do this. I thought it would be a good idea. Why did you pick, you know, 02, 03, your first couple of visits at the ranch? Yeah, well, this really is the heart of the Alessi Villapoto battle, which, okay, maybe some things can tie that. But to me, when it comes to drama and anticipation, and maybe I was a little overhyped because it was the first time I was going through this process. There's probably been you know, 20 of these great rivalries at Loretta's before, but it was the first one I was seeing in mm-hmm. person. Uh, I also feel like the industry was in a really strong spot where we're scouting these guys and riders making huge money was starting to happen and really starting to grow. I mean, as you know, by the time we get to 05, 06, when these dudes are pros, like the money is starting to get to an all-time high. So to me, with that comes more entourage, more drama, more eyeballs. And honestly, here's the thing. There have been other amateur rivalries, but you don't mm-hmm. need to be at Loretta's to know that when the Alessis were involved, it just took the dial and turned it to the right a little more <laughs> than anything else. Like, I, people tell me that there was supposedly this Cooper Webb-Adam Cerullo rivalry, and me and my buddy Kevin Kelly, who probably announced all the motos they were in together, we don't even remember it. We're just like... Yeah, I thought like Saint Solo was good and Cooper Webb was also good. Like that's all I remember about it. I don't remember hearing any drama. I don't remember hearing like whose side are you on. When it came to the Alessis, dude, they just turned the drama up to eleven, and that's why this one sticks out to me. Now, was it a um, was it more uh, Villapoto and Alessi or Villa Alessi and Grant? I kind of that, that to me the. I'm confused a bit on that, right? Like, uh... Yeah, so uh, when I got there, everyone said, oh, man, you missed out uh, because James Stewart is now gone. He graduated the year before. And Michael Lessie's big rival is Davey Millsaps, but Millsaps is too big. He can't race 85s anymore. He's mm-hmm. going to be on a 125, so it's over. It's over. Alessi is just going to dominate. And I'm like, well, that's cool because I've heard about this Michael Lessie guy. It'd be fun to see him ride. If he dominates, that's kind of what he's billed to do. Mm-hmm. In, uh, oh... Three is that what we're talking about here? Yeah, yeah we got. O, about, yeah. I got O three Super Mini up right now. Yeah, so in O two, that is it. It is like this. Michael Lessie doesn't have to race Millsaps anymore. He will win every moto by a minute. There will be no competition. So let's just watch him do his thing. And then some kid in a Yamaha who I had no one telling me about before the race <laughs> actually battles him. Sometimes has the fastest lap of the race, and. You know, with the Alessis, their their machine, their machine of having to win and hype and Alessi slash 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 weekly newsletters, that started to build as the week went on. And it's one of the cool things about Loretta's where you have these storylines, like a whole season of storylines all happening over like 24 hours. Like, oh, my God, this kid kept up with him. Can you imagine tomorrow's moto, what it's going to be like? And it just kept ramping up to the point where um, there were accusations that they were having Jeff Alessi go to the line and line up next to Villapoto to cross over him on the start, slow him down. Um, But I don't think Villapoto was really on the radar before this, but they went toe-to-toe all week, six motos in 02. And all of a sudden it was like, wait a minute, we have a new player here. Is that what you think Yamaha saw in RV and getting him back now? (laughs) 
we were joking with RV over the weekend because they had him there for that 50th anniversary. And I showed you the script that said yeah. Ryan Villapoto, two-time pit bike of nations champion on a Yamaha. Yeah. So we had a good laugh. And then RV's like, no, no, I won Ponca. I won Ponca City on a Yamaha also. <laughs> uh, but there are some that will say he came out of nowhere and really challenged Alessio too. And then he gets to Team Green Ride, very coveted. This is Team Green, yeah. you know, maybe the, 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 the biggest ever when it comes to uh, amateur racing. And some feel he wasn't quite as good uh, on oh, the next okay. year on the Cowie. Yeah. Because um, he won a moto in 02 on the Yamaha, but he did not win any, I don't believe, uh, in 03. And let me ask you this. So uh, this, is, uh, this is 85s and 105s, and you would go on to go to Loretta's when Alessi graduated to big bikes and all of that. Yeah. Um, and he had a nice career. It's still going. Uh, but for the most part, you know, his days of chasing chat titles in – well, they are over as far as the pro ranks in, in Supercross Motocross. He had a nice career. He made millions of dollars. Uh, but if I had told you back then, hey, this dude's never going to win a race, uh, 450 Supercross. He's never going to win a championship in any class. Would you have believed me? No. No, no. it's unbelievable. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's one of the things I've thought about it many, many times. I cannot wrap my head around. I do not understand. You know, this happens all the time when someone is hyped up, you know, and Deegan's dealing with it right now. People want to know, hey, I've heard about this kid. Mm -hmm. Does he have the goods? And I would have told anybody. Oh, yeah, he does. Like, yes, Tony's controversial. Yes, people don't like them. Yes, all that. But do not let any of that make you think that Michael Alessi isn't really good as a rider. Like, to me, you just cannot win this much. And remember, the guys he was beating in the end turned out to be, or at least battling, I guess him and Millsaps went back and forth. But we know that Millsaps and Villapoto, they're not slouches, right? Yeah. So yeah. he's not beating paper champions. So to be that dominant and that good against two very, very, very good riders, and then to end up, I mean, what does Mike have? Five wins the pro, six wins the pro, something like that? Um, it's shocking. And like now we have been talking about how Deegan is probably setting himself up knowing my final hurdle is going to have to be beating the Lawrence brothers. That's probably what's on the horizon for me if I really want to become an all-timer. I think the Alessis were already like, this is just window dressing, but mm -hmm. someday we're going to have to beat James Stewart. And that seems crazy. Like, how could he beat James Stewart? But, yep. I mean, it was like, Stewart's the previous guy last year. I'm the guy now. We'll figure out a way. We'll try to find a way to beat him. And now, like, to compare those two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There were no threat to Stu in the end. Yeah. It's just surprising. Yeah. Um, and I will never understand how it didn't pan out. Yeah. Do you think, though, yep. so, like, uh, and again, this is going to be mostly you talking. I'm going to ask questions here because I, yeah. I wasn't, yeah. I wasn't, I was a mechanic yep. at this point and mm -hmm. not paying much attention. Although I did go to the Minios with Ryan Morris in 99. Uh, we beat Stu in a moto, which was phenomenal back then. He was on a 105 and we were on a 125, but still, we, <laughs> we beat Stu. Not uh, just the engine, but you're talking a full-size 125 yeah. versus a super mini wheel. Yeah, 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 yeah. But still, we beat them. Um, nice. So I was my foray into amateur racing. So I'm not going to – but I'm not going to pretend like I was here or anything else. So I'm going to ask a lot of questions. Um, you know, we talk now about some of these kids that had amateur success and then got to the pros and failed. And, um, you know, one of the theories that works and one of the things that I believe in is these dudes – had great support, bikes, teams behind them, and therefore were put in a position to be advantageous right off the start, right? They were uh, immediately better than, you know, anybody than two or three other guys in their class because they had great bikes. Um, 
Then they get to the pros, and everybody's got big bikes, great bikes. So they don't adapt as well. Do you think that theory can stretch back to the 800 and his success? Because we know Tony was all in. Varner, FMF was all in. We know their program was really good. No schooling, uh, riding national tracks, like all of these advantages that Tony did for his kids, right? Do you think, looking back, that they were maybe the first ones? And I'm, I don't want to use the word paper champion because you used it earlier, and that's not exactly true because Mike is better than that. But that some of his success, looking back on it, was because of bikes and programs, and they were so far ahead of the little things that everyone does now. I 100% agree, and I've said that. That's all I can imagine, that um, at the amateur level, you're able to game the system somewhat. And yeah. I don't mean they're cheating no, or anything no. like that. Yeah. But everyone – I mean, motocross is hard. Motocross is hard um, to tie in with your family schedule and or school or the money to get good bikes or have the right bikes. There's a lot more level playing field in you know youth football, I'm sure, where – Every football team practices the same amount, and if you get in the team, you're practicing the same amount as the other people on the team and the other and the other school and all that. You know, not everybody can ride five days a week or seven days a week. So if one kid's only able to find a way mm-hmm. when dads don't work to ride for a few well, hours, especially you back, can ride more back here. This is still amateurs or amateurs. Yeah. Yes, and that's the other thing, and this is how I guess I hadn't thought about this, but Millsaps ends up tying back into this with the Millsaps training facility. Mm-hmm. That really did level it. Like if you want to do it. Here's the way to do it. It's no longer up to dad's schedule or can you find a place to ride. Like, you just write the check. And for a lot of these parents, it's probably take out the loan and you can get them somewhere where they're going to ride and train at the absolute highest level. And then no one can game the system and do 30% more work Mm -hmm. uh, than that. And I know Villapoto, I think, at least by these Team Green days, I'm going to assume he is probably down in California most of the time and certainly on a pretty darn full time program. But There was nothing like the Alessi model, and I give credit to Tony. It was like he had figured out all the dads are trying at this level for their kids to win. But it was like he was 20% ahead on the bikes and the training Mm -hmm. and the effort and the mental side. I truly believe that. He had, I caution to say, overinflated because, again, it's not like Mike is terrible. No, no. Um, Listen, uh, 98% of people would trade their pro careers for Mike Alessi's. yeah, yeah, but he was he was able to get that last bit of percentage out mm-hmm. um, that the other guys at the time couldn't. And then, look, it flipped in the most drastic way because by the time they were pros, you know, RV's a hero and RV is great. But we can also look back and let's just say RV was riding the original Pro Circuit Kawasaki 250Fs. And now you look back and you're like, oh, my God, those bikes, dude. Yeah. Like everyone was killing it. Yep. So the same advantage that Mike probably had as an amateur uh, – Ryan had when they first started racing as pros. So, yes, I think that is a huge, huge mm-hmm. part of it. But in typical Tony fashion, I think they were not expecting this Villapoto challenge the one year, and Villapoto was really close in 02 and won a moto in 02. In 03, they just shut him down, dude. And I don't know if you know this, Steve, but the Alexis were a little controversial. Oh, I don't know if you know this? Yeah, yeah, I heard. Yeah. yeah. I feel like when you're there at the ranch, everyone was rooting against them. Everyone was on the fence. <laughs> really? Hoping, yes. Everyone was like, I hope this Mike guy gets beat. And they brought a lot of that on themselves because Tony had this newsletter. Tell me you had gotten the newsletter at some point. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I've definitely seen the newsletter with the misspellings and the and the weird stuff. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. It had – I, all Tony was probably really trying to do was promote his son, but it wasn't necessary. Like – Everybody already knew Michael Leslie was great. It's just a matter of time. Like, he'll turn pro. He'll win titles. 
but there was always a little bit of twisting the knife sometimes um, when he and for people that don't know, he's actually I'll give Tony really credit for this. The email newsletter today in 2023 is a very big business. Uh, he was way ahead of that curve, bro. Now that I think about it. He was doing this 20 years ago. He'd send out this newsletter and yeah, it was the spelling and grammar definitely left something to be desired. But it was basically saying Mike and Jeff were awesome and they usually were because they were usually winning races. But every once in a while, there'd be this additional twisting of the knife and and really letting you know how good they were. Mm-hmm. And I think that really made people laugh, but also made people want to see them theirs. Was So okay. people were rooting for Villapoto big time. It's telling that Mike comes out of the amateur ranks as one of the winningest amateurs of all time and all these and like there's no team for him. There's no team. He doesn't go to you know Yeah, he was a Honda guy. Yeah. He was a Honda guy. Right. Yes. But Honda was like, yep. Yeah, no. We just know well, you know the famous story is that Tony rode the right. factory connection, what would be Geico bike. At Millville. Yep. That was disposed of the deal, right? Rode it in the pits. Rode in the pits. And said it was and, too slow. Yeah, and said this bike's no good or something. But Honda was yes. already. But like, there was no fast track for him. This was like a tryout or or whatever. And it's just you know because of Tony, because of controversies, because of things, Honda was like yeah. very guarded. And you yeah. know, and then when they did try the bike, they didn't. You know, Tony said it was no good, and you yeah. know they just they didn't play by the system. They they they, they show up at Millville as privateers. Uh, then they switch gear companies right away. You know, yep. uh, Mike does end up on the podium at Steel City. Good job for him. He's 17 or 18 at that point. But, like, yeah. it's just, like, telling that the system didn't want anything to do with them, even though Mike was so fast. It's just, you know, nobody was like, hey, we always make the joke about an axe murderer, you know, be getting a ride. Well, an axe murderer in this case was better than the Alessis because no one was jumping up to sign them and get Mike no. on, the, on the bike. You had to yeah. think of a little bit of a rebel uh, organization that needed someone, KTM, stepped up, you know? It's a great point, right? KTM is going through ups and downs and ups and downs for them. They're probably like, oh, my God, I cannot believe this could be the most talented kid coming out of the amateurs, and we have a chance to get him because everybody mm-hmm. else doesn't <laughs> want him. And we'll, they would take the axe murderer at that time. Yeah. They're looking for anything. Right. But, right, like it's the blessing and the curse. I want to give Tony credit. He created these results, but unfortunately – the attitude that helped create it obviously so, drove plenty of sponsors off. Yeah, no, for sure, right? Yeah. I mean, looking back, you, you can't. Mike should have just been in the system, in the product of a good system, and moved up just like Ryan Villapoto and Josh Hill and all these other ones, right? He just never did. Yeah. Uh, let yeah. me ask you this: um, they are controversial. They'd have the newsletter and all that, but in these Loretta days, and this can be any year. We're talking '03 here on on this one particular because we'll talk about who got third and all that. But in these Loretta years, like. Was he cheating? Were there protests? Like, I do remember something about an air filter or something. Like, what was the controversies at the ranch with the family that you can remember? Yeah, so I think there's some fact and some fiction. There's definitely stuff. Of course. (laughs) Imagine that, yeah. Yes. And you know what? Loretta's is no better now. I mean, there's a lot more information in the world right now with – and by the way, there was the internet. I mean, Tony was sending newsletters. There yeah. was the Moto News yep. message board. Mm-hmm. I enjoy how nowadays people talk about things like the internet's only existed for the last eight years and haters and comments have only existed. There was a message board talking trash on riders in like 1996, everybody, okay? Like I remember going to the college um, the college computer lab and seeing Honda fans say Jeremy McGrath sucks and Ezra Lusk rules, you know, in, in, in 98. Like, so this drama was still around, but... 
the Deacon claim thing this year, or sorry, last year, felt the same. It's like you hear someone say, hey, I heard Deegan's bike got claimed. And then hours go by and then the stories start to grow. And then by the next day, it's out of hand. And then in the case of Loretta's with Deegan last year, a whole nother week, it got even more out of hand because the rider, he's a Canadian guy. I can't even remember his name. This is terrible now. Um, the rider who claimed the bike, now I can't Schofield. remember his name. Schofield. Schofield, yes. Brennan Schofield. Then he does an interview. So it still took like nine days last year for the story to grow into what it became. And the Alessi thing was like that also. So I'd heard there was a fuel protest. They protested the fuel. And then somehow also there's this story that is true where Adam Chatfield, a British rider who was in these classes at the same time, eventually claimed and won Alessi's bike. And then every once in a while you see a picture of this bike where someone still owns it mm-hmm. after the claim worked. Um, but there were probably 20 other stories of they were going to cheat that didn't either – the protest they either won or the protest never happened the air filter thing you mentioned that was actually after a while jeff was often in the same class as mike mm-hmm. and again being accused of they send jeff to the gate to line up next to the guy mike has to beat and cut him off would that happen uh, like did you ever see that i'm pretty sure it did yes okay. i'm pretty sure it did yes um like a lot of times it's villapoto against both alessis <laughs> it's um, like wrestling <laughs> it is i mean it was it was like wrestling though it really was i mean and the role tony played was very much like that anyway jeff's last year he's finally in a class that mike is not in and people are like hey you know what's crazy jeff has never won a moto here i don't he's never won an overall i don't think he'd ever won a moto mm-hmm. and it's like is this is jeff's chance so jeff is in the uh stock 450 class in his last year and he wins uh and then he gets protested for having uh, the no backfire screen in his air filter, right. which is illegal stock. in the stock class. Yeah, stock class, yeah. Yeah, and um, yeah, that's it. He, he gets DQ'd, and the one title he maybe could have won, um, he doesn't win. But in classic Alessi fashion, I remember Jeff then has to come to the announcer's tower to tell us his side of the story, and he says, yeah, it's true that I didn't have a backfire screen, but our engine builder said the backfire screen actually makes the bike faster, so I was at a disadvantage. Mm. So that's not really fair. And every motor building listening to this must have had like face palm be like, yeah, yeah. first of all, it does make the bike faster. Second of all, why would you do it if it makes your bike slower? But uh, uh, as far as you yeah. know, Mike and Tony never got DQ'd or they won any protests against them. There is not a result at Loretta's yeah, right. that they've been stripped of. Right, no. Right, and right. I heard this fuel protest once. I heard like six months later, like, hey, guess what? The AMA, the test came in. Mm-hmm. He actually did fail, but nothing came of it. So yeah. so much of this is probably hearsay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so much of it is just, yeah. Yes. But I I mean, visually watching in these races, Mike's bike looks so much freaking faster. Like you would literally out of corners, like just be like, what is the deal? His bike just seems so much better. But with Varner and Tony, as we said, not leaving one CC on the table. No. That used to be the joke. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they just had a program, man. And then the starts, on top of it, you know, he was one of the best starters ever, if not the best starter ever. He would get every hole shot. RV would have to ride like mad, trying his outside lines to get by him. And everyone on the fence is praying Villapoto can get him. And in uh, 03, it was 1111, 1-1-1-1, 2-2-2-2, 2-2-2-2-2. Every time. He is amazing. Mike won, looking at his Loretta's uh, six, seven, eight, uh, nine titles and 10 tries from 2000 yeah. to 2004 when he left. Nine, yeah. ten, ten, ten entries in uh, the five years and nine titles. 
crazy. Incredible. Yeah. 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 Just a machine. Just a machine. And, and, and um, if you want to go further back than that, uh, yeah. to the next year, uh, 12 titles, he won one that year. So he then now has 10 out of 12 titles, attempts. Yeah. And the record for the most, Kevin Walker through the vet ranks has the most titles ever of anyone at Loretta's. But I often reference, if you're trying to reference like who was the best prospect coming through, Alessi, Adam Cincerullo, and James Stewart are tied with the most coming through, as I call the amateur ranks. And I'm not doing this just to slight Kevin Walker. You know, he's had some controversy. It's not trying to wipe him from the record books. It's I know when people ask who won the most titles there, what they want to know is like, yeah, who was the best college quarterback? Who was the best draft pick? Yeah, I don't think you can start phenom? talking vet stuff and, and, you know, when you can just keep going. And, yeah. And, yeah. Um, yeah. Yep. Yep. So, so when you say that Alessi was on the same pace as an amateur for Loretta's titles, at least as Stu, like that's what really sticks out. Stu ends up being the second winningest rider in the history of the sport, combining motocross and supercross together. And I mean, what does Stu have, like 89 wins or something? And like I said, Alessi has like six. It's just a pretty massive drop off. Although poor AC, I guess we would be telling the same story there. But at least AC, you're like, well, he just got hurt. Mm-hmm. Mike just... Yeah. Would have two or three guys that were faster than in most years. Uh, the one year, 85, 12 to 13 stock, 01, Mike goes DNS, DNS, DNS. Did, did not start any of the three motos. So I don't know what mm. went on that. He must have been hurt that year, yeah. Yeah, that year. Um, and then his last year was four-stroke title, which I remember caused well, – there was controversy. Like, why are you racing four-stroke? Yeah. And yeah. then 250 open A, where he beats uh, – well, actually, he beats a guy named Dan Truman. Truman gets oh. – well, Truman gets ninth. But, Incredible. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but he beats Jacob Saylor and uh, Eric McCrumman. So. Yeah. So I can tell the story about that. So uh, O2, Villapoto comes out of nowhere, challenges him, even finally gets a moto win by the end of the week. He gets the big team green ride. The anticipation for their motos in O3 was just all time high. And here's how you can tell the infield, the industry people on the infield, you start seeing them walk out. Like, oh, there goes Scott Taylor from Fox, and there's Todd Hicks from Fox, and there's RC, and there's Stu, and the, all the ex-pros that come back. And you're like, what's? why are they all headed to the infield? And you're like, oh, we must be about a half hour away from a moto. And then you look at the order, and you're like, oh, <laughs> they're going to the infield because they want to watch Villapoto versus Alessi. Yeah. Uh, but everyone wanted to see Alessi get beat. They didn't get beat. He beat RV in every moto. So then the next year, they're not racing each other uh, because Alessi's moves up to unless he's tiny but is still going to race 450s mm-hmm. and uh rv is small but is still going to race super minis and rv i think breaks his collarbone either in practice or in the first moto and it kind of started this whole yeah see man when it comes down to it rv has the tools but he can't get it done he couldn't get it done <laughs> against alessi he gets hurt when he the lessie's finally not there and then his final year he gets beat by j law and it's like he might be fast man but when it comes time for the pressure how crazy is that? It's probably now what RV is known the most for. Yeah, yeah, really, right? Uh, yeah, he just yeah. can't get it done when the pressure's on. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's crazy. It's absolutely yes. nuts. Uh, oh. And and what everyone was looking for very very closely when RV would get second on the podium to Alessi, the study of the body language by these industry people was so intense because they were trying to, everybody knew Alessi would be good. There was no reason. To, everybody knew everything about him. Yeah. There was nothing worth studying. Uh-huh. People were trying to figure out, is this poor Alessi kid already crushed? And I would hear the term mind effed roaming around the ranch during the week. Like, is this it? Is he already 
been beaten down and he'll never reach his potential because Alessi has kicked his ass so many times. And, I mean, he looked bummed. He looked depressed. He looked sad. His dad was probably going to beat his ass, too. I'm sure if we asked Ryan that, he would say that. Um, <laughs> and people were measuring that. Like, we know what we've got with Alessi. Is this Filipoto guy a real prospect going forward? Yeah. He looks so beaten down, he might never have confidence after this, which is hilarious now looking. Uh, yeah, looking back on it, right? The guy literally yeah. just was clutch every single time, right? Yes, um, yeah. Dad, that's crazy to me to think about that. Is, is Villapoto's, yeah. uh is his... It's, it's not quite apples to apples because Levi Kitchen does not have the career Ryan Villapoto has uh, by any means. But I feel like just one year, it's like, oh, my God, Levi Kitchen at Loretta. It's like, who is this kid? Yeah. Like, what is going on? And, you know, Rock River. And is was it yeah. the same to RV? It's different because okay. um, that happens a lot when the dudes switch to the big bikes. And I think even more so now because the difference between you're still racing 85s and super minis now, just like you always were. Mm-hmm. But now the big bikes are 250F. Um, so I think we're seeing a lot more of this. I don't remember that kid being anything in a mini bike. And then he just went nuts okay. as soon as he got on a 250 F. Uh, Plessinger did the same thing. And by the way, we're often talking about tall dudes, right? Yeah. yeah. So, uh, turning this good on a mini cycle is a little bit different. Um, I mean, this is still, it's really crazy actually now looking back and be like, yeah, we thought Filippoto might be uh, mind effed and ruined for his career. I mean, he's still the second best 85cc rider in a super stack class. It was no joke. Um, he was really good, but the analysis. Also, remember back then we were coming into the, well, Carmichael won everything at every level and never got beat. And now Stu's doing the same thing. So the narrative was whoever's the best dude now is just going to continue to be the best guy forever. That mm-hmm. seemed like the normal path. Now we've realized, really, that's never the case. It was only the case with Carmichael and Stu. Because the next group ends up being, no one had ever heard of him at the time, Chad Reed, who doesn't even exist in the United States. <laughs> and then Villapoto and Dunge, who absolutely were not supposed to win like that. Mm-hmm. But I think that was what everyone was measuring. Well, we saw Carmichael do this. We saw Stu do this. And if this is what Alessi's doing now, that's the way it will continue forever because that's the way this goes. That's the way it goes. Uh, yeah. Partic- by the way, uh, Scott Sports, uh, they've been providing the best gun goggle technology for all motorsports disciplines for over 50 years. Our buddy Johnny Knowles, he's been to Loretta's a few times for Scott. Scott is a global leader in innovation, technology, and design. And they've always been so proud to support racing. All the way from uh, Ryan Villapoto to Jason Anderson, Pro Circuit, Chad Weenan, Walker Fowler. Scott is excited to relive iconic moments in the sport with the Re-Raceables podcast, many of which have included Scott Goggles. Scott, the only goggle made in the USA. Our guy Chris Meyer at Maxis Tires supports us as well. Uh, soft to intermediate, intermediate to hard. The the sea champion from Loretta's, a guy named Jeremy McGrath. Mm-hmm. Did, he, did, he, did he ever become anything? Nah, Bradshaw was the man. Yeah. He, never, he was never able to be. Same thing. Bradshaw came out of Loretta's, and we all knew he'd win every race forever, and he did. By the way, when Jeremy won the C-Class... He had Showtime on the back of Come his on. pants, and it's unbelievable. If you want to talk about a flex <laughs> that he someone backed up, it's Showtime in the C class. He did. He did. Who's this Showtime you in the C class? Come on. What my race tech rant would have been if I had seen a C class guy with Showtime on the back of his pants? You know, oh. like anyway, 1989 or whatever. Yeah. So he developed Max's tires. Uh, these new tires, mountain bike tires, uh, dirt bike tires, trailer. Uh, trailer tires, light truck tires, maxis.com, shop.maxis.com for more information. Uh, great guys, great tires. Uh, thank you to them for coming on board the podcast. And of course, Liet as well. Uh, Liet.com, flex lock boots, velocity goggles, 
9.5, helmets, all of it. Check it out, liat.com. If you want to save on them, uh, email us using the contact form, and I'll get you a code to save. I'll tell you more about guts and decal works later. All right, uh, 03 Super Mini. These are 105s with big wheels on them. Um, Kawasaki sold one stock uh, production, and the other everyone else would just build one. Um, Alessi, 111, Villapoto, 222. Christoph Purcell, 333. Um, <laughs> yes. Did you have any uh, interaction with Purcell back then? Was, was it known that he was coming to America? What was the, that one about? Yeah, so I didn't know this going in. And then, as I said, these stories grow throughout the week. So I'm assuming he gets third in one of the early motos. And then somebody points out, okay, it lists Kissimmee, Florida as his hometown. Mm-hmm. But somewhere along the way, Davey, who was 100% the guy on the pulse back then, is like, no, that's actually this French kid. And Loretta's everybody has to qualify. So somebody had to get him over to race an area and a regional. Yeah. Ken Roxon would do the same. Um, but, you know, when you're the hotshot 13, 14-year-old, there's backers. There's people, you know, Kawasaki probably helping out. Um, so he is getting third, but he is getting smoked by these guys. And, but it was such anticipation for the French folks that I remember, like, a group of French journalists there that were very, very interested in this. And then they would go to Davey and be like, what does this mean? He got third. But he also got beat so bad by this Alessi and Villapoto tandem. And um, Davey was like, well, he's never been here before. The whole process of the bib and you only practice one day and the track mm-hmm. changes, the heat, all that. Um, Davey was giving him you know, all the reasons why he wouldn't be able to beat them. But I think for the most part, he was just being friendly to the French journalist. I think for the most part, the vibe I heard was like, <laughs> French kid got smoked by Villapoto and Alessi. Of course, yeah. Yes, that was that was the majority of the vibe. But as it turned out, he would be super duper talented. Like yeah. the level of talent yeah. that he had yep. did not show yep. with these third place finishes. And yeah. this is asking a lot of you, Weege, but this is why you're we all, you know, love you as a moto historian. Were there any battles between these three, or was it just like gone, gone, gone? Oh, Villapoto and Alessi, it was almost every moto it was on. Uh, Mike with the whole shot. Okay. Villapoto eventually get the second. Okay. And he would he would hound them for a while. It looked like Villapoto was riding. I, I mean, I don't know. It looked like he was riding over his head to keep up. Yeah. Uh, there was one moto. Uh, Villapoto kind of invented this. Uh, before they get to the finish line, there's a big right-hand sweeper that's kind of sandy now. Okay. And it was getting sandier each year back then. And he would go around the outside, which uh, people didn't really do that back then. But Villapoto really made a living on outside lines all the way into his pro career so i remember one time i think he finally used that outside i mean he's going mach 12 and you know super minis and 85s always sound awesome right when they're pinned yeah and uh he goes on the outside which puts you on the inside for the next turn and it looked like he was going to make the pass and they came together and villapoto ends up like hitting a post and crashing and then of course people are like super pissed because they want to see <laughs> villapoto win and trying to claim that mike was dirty um, no, most of them were battles. Okay. And then yeah, you yeah. would wait 30 seconds. In my mind, you would yeah. wait half a lap and there would be Porcel. And then you wait another half a lap and you'd save everyone else. Yeah. I'm not sure if that's exactly what it was, but that's right. the way it felt. That's the way, yeah, yeah, looking back on it, what you think. Yes. Um, and was there any oh, doubt? No, they were gnarly battles, dude, but yeah. Mike would always freaking figure out a, a way to pull the magic out. And so I've always said, like, Mike's a good dude. Like he, mm-hmm. he's a bit sheltered, right? You can tell he didn't interact with other people a lot. He grew up in a van, and so his social skills are social skills 
are a bit off, let's say. But I like Mike. He's a good guy. He's a good dude. Um, I flew with him a lot back in the day because he would fly southwest. He would stop in Vegas, and I would get on the plane with him or whatever. He'd be there with Danielle, his wife now. And he's a dad now and everything else. Um, so I've got a lot of time for Mike. Uh, just little different guy let's say uh what, what, yeah but he's not a shit talker he's no not, no, like, no, no I think well, that's the, what the, i was the, getting to so right was, the rep you would get from the mm-hmm. the swagger that the lsc group had back then is that that's the way mike was but he really wasn't like that so i was gonna say as a kid was he you know classy respectful all of that like or did, he didn't take this persona of you know of an lsc type deal yes because i also think that they were they were the full package and i think it was like here's how we're going to conduct ourselves on the podium and here's the clothing we're anywhere and we're going to have a look and we're going to have an image and i think they were thinking of that long before anyone else was so on the podium it was always saying the right thing being super classy mm-hmm. being super nice i am convinced i mean mike and jeff would come up to me all the time and shake my hand and look at my eye and and, and reference me by name okay and same thing with yep. davy yep. and i i mean that is not just at 13 years old, Mike thought that was a thing to do. No. That was Tony, I think, sweating every detail. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, talk to the journalists. Talk to the announcers. Introduce yourself. Be friendly with them. Be polite with them. And this is – these are 13-year-olds. That's that's not easy to do. And then, hilariously, there was the one summer where they actually just lived at Davy's house um, in Morgantown and got to ride the tracks on the East Coast. And they'd come into the office, and we'd hang out. And that's invaluable uh, for them, and I'm sure – it wasn't just, hey, here's a house we can live in to ride tracks on the East Coast. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it was meet the journalists, work with them every day, hand in hand to build your profile. <laughs> so, and yeah. I remember as a mechanic, they would ride amateur days on Saturdays at the Nationals and they would hang out in the pro pits and they would be around and you're like, oh, there's that Alessi family because they were literally following the Nationals to ride yeah. all the tracks. Yeah, they had their Ford uh, excursion with the giant trailer. And uh, it would be like Tony would be there. If I have this right, I think it would be Tony would come in. The mom would do all that during the week, and then Tony would fly in on weekends or vice versa. It was like mm-hmm. all hands on deck, flying in and out. Somebody had to work. Somebody had to manage the house. Yeah. Someone would fly in. I mean, it was an incredible system that just put them so far ahead of the game. But let me get to when they finally are done. And and to, the, the final nail in the coffin mm-hmm. is if you ask Tony, he would always say, yeah, 3 Filippoto got the team green ride, and there was great anticipation. But as Tony always says, he never beat us one time. We <laughs> shut him out. We shut him well, there, out. There's an interview where he said, Ryan Filippoto never, ever, ever beat us. Like there's some sort of yes. great outdoors or something. I don't know. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, never beat him. Like I said, he got one moto against him in 02. Shut out 03. And I think this is every – he's not just talking the Reddits. He's talking every amateur race. Yeah. Um. So my final thing, the next year, uh, it's Alessi's last, and now he's moved all the way up to 450s, mm-hmm. and they are already, by the time we get to Loretta's, starting to hype up the uh, graduation to pros after Loretta's that year, which would be at Millville. And at first, Mike was going to do the logical thing and race a 250F at Millville, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and somewhere along the way, Tony makes the mistake in his bravado, I remember in an interview, where I don't remember, but he says, you know, you can tell that these guys aren't even trying to beat Stu. They're just giving him the moto wins. And it's like, dude, don't yeah. don't bark yeah. up that tree. Yeah. Do not <laughs> just take your lumps, bro. Don't don't poke that bear. Um so I think eventually Mike switches and he's gonna race a four fifty. And I think it was like, oh crap, we made a mistake. We've gotten Stu mad. We need to stay away from him. Race to four fifty class. <laughs> 
But this is, I think, my this is certainly my favorite Loretta story, mm-hmm. and it might be my favorite motocross story of all. <laughs> so by nothing more than pure luck, in 04, Kawasaki brings Stewart out to demo the 05 bikes. And yes, James Stewart is going to ride a KX250. Now, no one had ever seen Stu ride a 250 yet in public. And obviously, Steve, that's massive. Like, yeah. we're finally going to see what he can do on a big bike. So he's going to ride at halftime and ride a KX250. And as nothing more than sheer chance, the moto that's going to take place after that intermission is a moto that Alessi is in. So Alessi's on the gate, sitting there waiting for his moto as Stu rolls out on the track to show the world what he can do on a 252 stroke. And you know Stu's already pissed because two months earlier they're like, we're going to fight him. We're, we're not just going to give him moto wins. Mm-hmm. So you know how Stu is. Yeah, He's going to show everybody what's up. And Mike's just sitting there on the starting line. He can't do anything. He's just stuck there. <laughs> so the jumps by the finish line, it's like a double-double, right? Stu, triple ones, triple roll. It's like, oh, my God, I can't believe someone's tripling this. And then Stu starts signaling to the crowd, I can quad this. And we're like, oh, my God, oh, my God, Stu's going to quad these two doubles. He goes off the track to get enough run. He quads it. Everyone's losing their minds. We've seen Stewart on a two-stroke, 252 stroke. This is insane. Everybody's losing their minds. And then even better, Stu rides over to the starting gate where Mike is just sitting there and starts waving him like, come on. You think you're so fast? Come ride with me. And Mike. Yeah, what's Mike supposed what to do, right? That Mike's moto just happened to be next. There's 99 motos. It's incredible. Yeah. And like, what's Mike going to do? All right, let's do, go. Like, you know. Yes. Yeah. And then Stu would do the quad, ride all the way back to the start, wave Mike out on the track. Mike's not even allowed on the track. Right. At that point. It was unbelievable. So the drama that was building there um, between, oh, my God, Stu's on a 250. I can't wait till next year. How does he look? Wait. Mm-hmm. He's shit talking Alessi with his riding. We got the Millville thing coming up next weekend, and everybody wants Alessi to lose. Break, believe the hype so bad. It's all time. The the tension and the comedy and the drama is amazing. And then poor Jacob Seller, you bring him up. So uh, Stu's there. He's got his posse. Carmichael's there. He's got his posse. So then the gate drops for Alessi's moto. And Carmichael's there with like his posse on the infield. And Stu's there with his posse. And they're all wearing Fox stuff because they're both Fox guys, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So at first glance, you can't even tell. Is that the... Is that the eight guys surrounding Stu or is that the eight guys surrounding RC? <laughs> so unless he does his deal, he gets the whole shot. It's up to Jacob Saylor, who's like the next best guy in the class. And again, people are praying like, please, Jacob Saylor, please, please beat this kid. Everybody wants Jacob Saylor to beat Mike so bad. Yeah. And he hangs with him for like two or three laps. Unless he starts pulling away. And then unless he starts looking around in the infield for Stu. Mm. Yeah. So he sees, I believe, a group of people in Fox attire and he goes over a jump and he gestures like the shrugs, like what's up? What's up with that? I just shut everybody down. What's up? But the problem was that was actually the Carmichael group that he was doing it to. So I'm standing there in the infield next to RC and he's like, Whoa, is he gesturing to me? And of course all the RC people are like, Oh yeah, Ricky, he thinks he can beat you. And then they're firing him up. And then RC's getting fired up, and they're firing RC up, and then Stu keeps, or uh, unless he keeps doing it like every lap. <laughs> I didn't hear like, this. Oh, I've never heard this part. Yeah. Uh, oh, I never told you. This is so great. Well, I heard I'm the like, Stu oh, part. I heard the now. Stu thing about the, the yes. starting line, but yes. Yes. I'm like, oh, Mike's done it now. He managed to get out of the class. He doesn't have to race Stu. And then he accidentally, now he pissed off Carmichael, who he has to race next week. Yeah. It couldn't have gone worse. 
is amazing. <laughs> like I said, my favorite Loretta story, if not my favorite story ever. Wow. And then, uh, and then you know, Carmichael, I, I remember started criticizing him. He's like, look, he doesn't roll his corners. He doesn't have any corner speed. And the Carmichael people are just like, yeah, yeah, give us more, give us more. Yeah, yeah, tell us why he sucks. <laughs> Uh, and then in the podium, I, I do the podium interview and I ask Mike, like, what is the goal at mm -hmm. Millville next week? And he's like, whole shot and lead a lap. And then I swear, like, everybody's eyes turn to RC, like, ooh, how is RC going to take that? <laughs> Jeez. I don't remember yeah. that part. That was awesome. That's great. And then, of course, uh, everyone just tried to clean Mike out all day long at Millville. Like, all the pros. Yeah. just. I mean, Tony Lessie called my buddy Kevin Kelly at DMXS and said, can you make T-shirts that say Believe the Hype with a target on it? Like... Uh, they couldn't have leaned wait, into hold this on, anymore. Hold on. I thought those guys just made those shirts. No. Tony asked them to Tony make them. Tony wanted those shirts? Yes. 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 I thought just putting I thought just getting them made and putting that he was. He wanted to create as much drama as he could. He wanted to. Yeah, that's uh, that's insane. I thought those guys, DMXS guys just made the shirts and then they put them on, which is a bad decision. But no, these were by request. No, no. I remember Iser and Kevin calling me like a few days out and being like, dude, you won't believe this, but Tony knows that I own a t-shirt shop and mm -hmm. he actually is asking us to make shirts because Holy. they were so confident that they were going to come in, build up all this hype yeah. and get it done and win Jeez. or at least lead a lap. Well, he did make the podium the next week and and uh, and uh, it's we were really mad. I've told this story before. But uh, I was at Yamaha, and Gothic J's bike broke for Villeman, and uh, yeah. that gave Alessi the podium, and all the mechanics were yelling at Gothic and upset at Gothic <laughs> in the area because his bike broke. Not his fault. I don't remember what happened, but it wasn't his fault. But the DNF from DV uh, gave Mike – because Mike, I think, went 5-4 for third, or, or it was a weird score to get third, but it did yeah. happen. And everyone was mad, like Mike Gossler, J-Bone, everyone was yelling at Gothic. So – yeah. Oh, it's perfect. Yeah. I'm glad you witnessed that because then you then you know that I'm not like this idea that everyone on the fence was cheering for Villapoto or Jacob yeah. Seller. Oh, yeah. Or no, no. Like, no, no. It's the same vibe. People no one, wanted to see him get beat so badly. No one in the pro pits wanted Mike to have any success. And when he sucked at Millville, everyone was pretty much, oh, yeah, there you go. That's what you get or whatever. You know yep. what I mean? And then the, the yep. podium was like, ah, yep. good job, Gothic. Your bike broke. And, you know, now he's on the podium. So. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember that podium at Steel City, like just it was I mean, that's what you do to the critics. Like it was silent. Like people didn't boo. There were just no noise. And he mm -hmm. it was the most literal definition of silencing the critics that you could possibly have. He got on the podium and the fans couldn't say shit. No, and they couldn't. 17 or whatever. Right. I think yeah. 16. 16. He looks like he weighs 120 pounds. <laughs> yeah, pretty. And much. he just did it on a non factory bike at a 450 national. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. So yeah, got to give him credit for that. Um, yeah. You know. Yeah. So. Yep. Wow. Wild times for sure. And yeah. Um. Yeah. So were you around? You weren't really around for the big Dave Millsaps Tony stuff at World. No, Mini and that's all a that. big regret. Yeah. Never. Yeah. I've never seen. I don't know <laughs> if I've ever seen uh, uh, big Davey Millsaps. His dad. I don't. I don't know if I ever have. I don't I know. Mean, I guess he had a bird on his shoulder all the time. That's what they tell me. Right. They right. Tell me he had a bird on his shoulder. <laughs> Just hey, if anybody's looking for like a reality show, we had a. We have the Alessis, and we got a, a competitor oh, with God. the bird on his shoulder. Yeah, there's a lot to talk about. Oh, God. Um, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. And and that's why I say all this. I'm like, yes, there are other rivalries, but do not – when I hear the comparisons, I'm like, you cannot compare what the Alessis brought to the table. I mean, they made shirts that believe the hype. And there are some that theorize – I don't know if Villapoto's even articulated this himself. I think he has. That all of this is what created that 
what everyone thought was making Villapoto mind crushed and losing mm-hmm. confidence was actually creating this fire. Uh, I don't know if Ryan has Ryan ever said that that was the case. I think maybe he did. I don't know. I don't remember that. But um, yeah, you know, definitely that became Dan. The theory. RV's yeah. dad, Dan. I've been around him a lot. Um, he's passed away now, but uh, yeah. I don't think anything made him happier than Ryan's success at a pro level and Mike struggling. Like he Probably. just was yeah. like, he's just like, yeah, they beat us everywhere. Now look at him. They beat us all yep. the time. Look at him now, or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, the dads they take this stuff, yeah. you know, way Dan, more personally. Dan, Dan got beat down a long time, uh, spent a lot of money to get seconds and all of that, and then when they, it flipped when they got pro, right? So, Yeah, and the dads, they're the ones that take it uh, more personally than anyone. I, I try to tell everybody now, like, you, you take these amateur rivalries so serious because you think this is the guy I'm going to have to beat my whole life, but it doesn't ever work out that no. way. There's a Chad Reed or a Jet and Hunter Lawrence who you haven't heard of yet who you're going to have to beat, or you're going to... Or, or there's a Ryan Dungey or or whatever, like someone mm-hmm. who you didn't hear of that uh, Justin Cooper, like who had just who had who had five years ago, like it's going to be Justin Cooper against the Lawrence brothers. That's what this is going to come down to. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah like, yeah, it, it's just not the way the sport works. But the dads in the moment, they, they can't help themselves and to be like, this kind of matters, but it's not everything. The guy we probably have to beat, we don't even know yet, and the guy we're sweating so bad, we might not even have to beat. Look, look dude, I had yeah. a, a mutual friend of ours tell me a couple years ago, Matt LeBlanc's going to destroy everybody. He's amazing. And, like, nothing against Matt LeBlanc, but it didn't work no, out. but at the time, he yeah, probably yeah, was. Yeah, but yeah. for me, like, so when I, so, you know, I'm, at the, I'm this anti-amateur guy is, is the, yeah. the rap. It's just that I don't care. It doesn't mean anything. <laughs> it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't, I cover professionals. So when he gets professional... Let's see how he does, you know, and let's talk about it. But, dude, I don't care that this kid is doing this and this kid's getting scouted and this kid's amazing and this kid's a beast. You know, yeah, it doesn't matter, man, because there's beasts everywhere in the pro class. They're all beasts, you know? Yes, and and that's that's what the main thing is you always have to remember. And it's the same thing with college sports. It's all in a very thin window of age, right? You only have to really be better than – the people that are what at most a year younger and a year older. And that's about it. Yeah. yeah. You know, when you get into 450 supercross now, I mean, we're talking about the best riders from a 12 year span from like the best 20 year olds against the best 32 year olds. Like Chase Sexton now has to try to beat Eli Tomac to win a title. Yeah. Yeah. It's that much harder. The the road of who you think you have to beat. It gets that much more difficult because now Jason Anderson is really good. But he's got to beat Barsha, and he's got to beat Tomac, and then Sexton moves in, and he's got to beat all three of those guys <laughs> for him to win races, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. But in the amateur ranks, like, wait, I mean, think about Sexton is probably on like a freaking 65 when Tomac's on a 250F. You yeah. never think you're going to have to race that yeah. guy. Um, so you put all your focus and all your sights mm-hmm. on this one dude that's your age, not realizing when it comes down to it. Yeah. The guy I'm racing now, I'm probably not going to have to beat, and the kid who's 10 years older than me. <laughs> <laughs> is actually going to be the one I have to He's going to be there too, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. or yeah. this Australian who I hadn't even heard of right. yet. Right, because Sexton's rival, oh, how is he ever going to beat Austin Forkner? Austin Forkner doesn't even run through his mind right now. He's yeah. got to deal with Jet Lawrence, which is probably even worse. Yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> for sure. Yep, that's why yeah. I just, I just don't, yeah, I can't, I mean, I can't get the energy up and I can't care that much, you know, because it just it doesn't mean anything, but... 
But yeah, anyways. Yeah. Uh, by the yeah. way, I was clicking around on 03 results, and maybe we shortchanged Jeff Alessi a little bit. 85, 12 to 13, he beats Josh Hill, Stroop, and Izzy in a moto. Jeff Alessi. Yeah, he was really good. Yeah. Yeah. Like he was in the mix. You know, whenever yeah. I talk to you people about amateur races, you guys tell me about Stroop and Izzy battles, you know, and how good they were. Uh, and they were. Uh, and then Jeff Alessi won a third moto against him. So and Josh Hill. So Yeah, uh, I really feel that Hill, uh not a lot of people agree with me on this. I feel like Hill was the best out of that entire batch. Hill mm-hmm. was outstanding at Loretta's, but I think it was more of a Loretta's thing for him. I think the Hills, I've asked the parents about this. Like, I'm like, why were you so damn good at Loretta's? And they're like, well, we lived in the Pacific Northwest. We didn't ride in the winter. And then right around that time of year, we had ridden for five or six straight months and we were like peaking. So the springtime races in March, they would get beat by those guys. Mm -hmm. So I think that's why Stroop and Izzy had more hype. But uh, Mm -hmm. yeah, I don't know. Izzy, I was never quite fully on board with that. Stroop though, uh, I'm more surprised, honestly, that it didn't work out for Stroop than Izzy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard that. Yep, yep. yep. Some but guy uh, named- but we know Stroop had off the. It wasn't lack of talent. Right. That was not the problem. Uh, some guy named Zach Osborne gets fourth. Guy named Ryan Dungey's ninth. I mean, whatever, oh whatever God, happened to that guy? You well, know. that's the point, right? All the effort that the Alessis had put in to shut this Villapoto guy down, and the dude in ninth would end up being as big, if not more, of a thorn in their side. Yeah. How many nationals did uh, Alessi finish second to Dungey in? Right. All right. Yeah. yeah. It's it's nuts. Yeah. Uh, yep. Lee at Re-Raceables, 2003 Loretta's. Uh, thank you to Decal Works. Pulp MX23 is the code to save with Decal Works. And, uh, yeah, great turnaround. Uh, Factory Red Bull KTM guys uh, use them for Husqvarna Off-Road. Uh, they did the uh, sweet retro bikes for the MX101 guys this weekend. Uh, they'll sell you that kit as well. Um, so, yeah, decalworks.com. Uh, uh, decalmx.com, sorry. Pulpamx23 is the code to save with those guys. And Guts Racing, get guts. Uh, seat foam, seat covers, uh, phantom lightweight seat foam, uh, vintage stuff. They can do it all. They can tell you the complete seat. They can sell you a cover. You can customize your cover. Pulpamx23 is the code to save at Guts Racing. Uh, the best seat company out there by far. Thank you to the folks at Guts for coming on board. Maxis, Scott, of course, and Leah as well. Um, all right, you want to do some categories? Should we do that? It kind of yep. doesn't totally work for this era but um yeah kind of does uh all right let's do 2003 super mini class um who really won the race oh michael lessie bro are we sure well the race is their entire career it's obviously ryan villapoto but um according to tony mm-hmm. they beat him every single time they raced so he's six and oh went six and oh in the motos that week okay so that's that. That's my answer. All right. I won't. I won't talk you in anything. I don't know. Where does where your What is your stance here? Well, I mean, who really? <laughs> here we go. Here we I go. I mean, Ryan Villapoto. He got second, but he really won the ultimate race. Oh yes, the career race. The career race. The the, the okay. You know. So. Yep. Um. But I could. You can make a case either one. Uh. Who's that guy? Uh. Again. Uh. Kyle Tobin was fourth. Uh. After Purcell. I don't know anything about Kyle Tobin, uh, DeLon, Florida. Uh, but Seth Rarick knew, knew about him. And then oh, no doubt. in the other class that these guys raced, a Brian McClacky, McClahey, uh, got third. And he used to beat Phil in Super Mini, Seth told us. So that, that was good. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I, I went ahead of the game here and I actually texted <laughs> our buddy Seth Rarick before this. Yes. 
knowing he would know who that. Yeah, this is bizarre. This is one of the all time trivia questions that at one of these classes, it's Alessi Villapoto and Brian McCaughey. Third. Yeah. Um, so, yes, according to Seth, he used to beat Phil all the time growing up. McCaughey's from New Jersey. Right. That was an era where I was just not quite around New Jersey anymore. So I, don't, I didn't know of him. Seth is disgusted by that. <laughs> yeah, Seth was very angry with you, of course. Uh, yes. He, but beating Phil was all we needed, so that's that's it. Oh, uh, yeah, that's all I yeah. wanted to hear. He used to beat Phil on the regular. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so who, that's who's a guy award. Lit Kid Award? I, I don't uh, – yeah, I can't. I'm, I'm out. I don't know. I don't know what years, Alessi – you mentioned the gear thing. So they were, they were like locked up the Fox and Honda. Well, first Yamaha, then Honda. And it was like they were locked into like Fox and Honda forever. Yeah, and then next thing you know, he's wearing alloy and then A-Stars, and he's on a KTM. Uh, I don't know O'Neal, if he was... Oh, fu- no, they podiumed at O'Neill. They podiumed at O'Neill? Yeah, at Steel City. They showed up in O'Neill. Oh, my gosh. Or either they showed up in O'Neill, Steel City, or they wore alloy at Steel City, and they were in O'Neill. Like, one of the, like, like they switched for that race. <laughs> it, <it's, laughs> because that all, that all collapsed? Who knows? Uh, the alloy yeah. thing collapsed. O'Neill collapsed. I don't know, but he wore a different brand of gear from the Millville to Steel City. I'll say that the alloy, uh, and unless he brothers, their gear was sweet. They'd usually have, you know, one would have like red and white, and one would have like white and red, like white with red trim, and one would have like red with white trim. Alloy's kind of forgotten about now, mm-hmm. but uh, I feel like they had it dialed pretty darn well back then like the the look was strong I'll, I'll i'll go lit kid on it mike was always wearing the child hrp chest protector because he was so small really yeah like underneath no over top, he, top. Would, he would wear the hrp over top um, oh, okay and he was so small it was he had to wear the child one it was always like he was in between too it looked like a child's one but then i'm sure yep. the adult one was too big for him so it was really really odd um christoph purcell maybe lit maybe shit kid award because i think he had this ufo stuff back then when he was an amateur I, I thought so, but I actually found a photo of oh. him wearing Fox. Okay, all right. At Loretta's with the bib. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Um, and uh, Villapoto was a Thor um, yep. pro circuit Kawasaki dude, <laughs> just like he always was. Um, where's JT Award? Uh, 2003. He's, he's, he's Butler Brothers. He's Subway Honda. Yeah. Yeah, he's, yes. yeah. Yeah, he's, he's a pro at that point. Although, we do know that JT stopped by Loretta's and just practiced one year. Yeah, yeah, that we, yeah, yeah. What's yeah? Well, I don't know what year that was, but you have to go back in the archives. And he go ahead, JT. Just get out there and practice with the amateurs. He claims him and Frank are on the way to a next national, and Loretta's is going on, and Davey <laughs> just let him jump into practice. What in the living hell? <laughs> you think you know a guy? Yeah, yeah. Um, oh man, that's a great story. And we're like, what? Like. Things that would never happen today, you know. Um, but then there was an industry race too, so I don't know. Yeah. Um, uh, okay. I have now found a, a story on this uh, final moto between mm. Villapoto and Alessi together. Okay. Uh, from Racer X, we did it a couple years ago. We we asked a bunch of riders what their favorite moto ever was. This is Mike's take on their last battle there ever. 2003 final moto of 85, 14, 15 mod. Uh, I didn't get a good start, which was rare. Villo got a really good start, and that was also rare. I had to run him down. I passed him, but right afterwards, I crashed in the Ten Commandments. I bent the bike and bars all up, but I don't know what came over me. I dug really deep, and I told myself I'm not going to lose this moto. I charge and charge and charge. 
I ran Villapoto down again, and I passed him on the last lap. I won the moto and the title. It was just a never-say-die, never-give-up attitude, and that's what will stick out for me in that moto. I had done the work, I was ready, and it all came together in that last moto. It was really rewarding, that and jumping in the creek afterwards. So I didn't realize he had come from behind, crashed, and still beat him. Jeez, that would have been a pretty pretty good moto to watch. They were. I mean, they weren't, you know, Mike just pulled away by two-tenths of a second every lap. Like, they were battles. Yeah. And Uh, the crowd wanted Mike to lose so bad. (laughs) Poor guy. (laughs) Now looking back at it, it sounds so harsh to say it that way, but that's the way it was. Unbelievable, right? No, I, I remember yeah. the pro part. The pro part yeah. was like yeah. was people F-listed. wanted him to lose. Yeah, were you at the? I did not go to the Believe the Hype Millville race. Did you? Yeah, I was a mechanic. Yeah, Timmy, I was working for Timmy that day. Okay. Yeah. Um, I don't know how. Like they had the post race press conference, and somehow mm-hmm. Mike was in it, even though he didn't podium. And then furthermore, uh, I heard that Matt Walker, who also didn't podium, also somehow ended up in the press conference just to shit talk Mike. I don't even know how this came to be. <laughs> I don't know if he just barged his way in and said, I got something to say. Yeah. Um, I highly recommend, by the way, that uh, you look for this My Favorite Loretta's Moto Mike Alessi story in 2019 because it is coming off the heels of a big win for Mike at Gopher Dunes, Mm. the Canadian Motocross Nationals. Mm -hmm. And here is a a, uh, photo from the podium. And there's Mike holding his baby, smiling in the center, and an extremely pissed off... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> angry looking Phil Nicoletti in second I think it was the next week after that gopher where Phil got <laughs> lost his mind yeah <laughs> um god I, I'm glad we cover this sport for a living and not like a professional one like where we have these stories you know like it's just great like Matt Walker barging into a press conference we don't even know why you know like things like that right. yeah because I remember uh the guys that did go to that race came back i didn't have no one was paying for me to fly and billy ursick and i considered like should we drive 11 hours just to watch a lessie race and then everybody came back they're like dude matt walker was in the press conference shit talking him and i'm like wait wait what why would why was walker even in the press conference he didn't podium and they were like oh just everybody was dumping on him yeah uh, i don't even know uh 2003 jt that was the year this was the year jt practiced at Loretta's, 2003. Oh, really? So I don't know if you remember that. Do you remember a Subway Honda out there? No, yeah. I don't remember a 25-plus rider losing his mind over why is this pro guy racing. <laughs> uh, yeah. All right, the Jacob Marsak Award for the rider who did the best that you uh, – well, this is, could be anybody uh, that you don't remember. Uh, McCauley, I guess. McCall? McCall? Yeah, he can always say he got a podium behind Alessi and Villapoto. That's yeah. no joke. Yeah, that's that. and he beat Phil. Um, no joke either, so. Yeah, is there a more um, is there let me ask you this all the years of Loretta's just let's go this way is there a most unlikely winner that st- sticks out for you of all the years of uh winning a title yeah with someone who won a title that you're like what like yes yes actually okay. and I know this is gonna sound like hindsight being 2020 but I swear I am not lying I remember this in the moment the the one title that Dunge won the class was so unbelievably stacked Mm -hmm. and you already knew who was going like these are going to be the four guys i'm going to pull this up right now okay and i remember dungeon ends up winning that title and it really caught my eye because on the podium i think i was doing the podium interview if not i was recording it for cycle news and i remember dunn saying like i can't believe i won this i've been coming down here for years and the best i was getting was tense and i was like what (laughs) so i looked it up and i'm like lo and behold yeah he went 999 in his previous three uh, appearances yeah 
He wins 125 mod 1215 over Osborne, Stroop, uh, Kyle Keelan, who was no joke, LeMoyne, who was no joke, Michael Hall, he was pro, Ben LeMay, Trey Kennard, Michael Pacone, PJ Larson, Tyler Wharton. Someone else was in there that had bad luck and just was way down on the results. But he beat uh, Osborne and Stroop and LeMoyne and Trey. And that was like, they were high, high, high end guys. And then to say that he was getting ninth every year and then he goes 3 1 1, I was like, yeah. What the hell is this? And I always love those stories because I think everybody was this the, the year he came out to Melville or no, no, 12 15. Never mind. No, it was two years before. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, it was the next year in the Nationals that, uh, yeah, 2006, where Rogers like, yeah, we are cleaning house. We're not going to have Millsaps anymore. He's gone and uh, we're not bringing Millsap or Hepler back. We're just calling up Ryan Dungey, and I'm like, Ryan Dungey, like the same kid that won that 125 title last year, and he's like, "Yep, we believe if we can get somebody in young enough, we can mold them." Yeah, he's not even going to race Loretta's this year. We're just going to have him go straight to the pros, and I'm like, "What?" <laughs> um, so Dunge, but in those yeah. days, that whole thing of like you just win on 50s, you win on 65s, yeah, you win in 85s. That was the way it was supposed to be. So yeah. for this Dungey guy to just all of a sudden go from ninth to first, I will never forget that. So he's um, he's a Jacob Marsak yeah. award winner, Ryan Dungey. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, Ryan Dungey. Who knew? Yeah, who that's knew? crazy. Yeah, yeah. I wonder what he went on to uh, become. Yeah, who knows? Probably. Yeah. Yep. Um, all right. Sounds good. Uh, anything else? Loretta Lynn's two thousand three. Next time I have Stu in the booth at Unadilla, I gotta be like, "Hey, man, can you talk to me about Loretta's and doing that demo on the KX two fifty a little bit? Because I will be rubbing my hands." Yeah. Out. Yeah. No, you've always told that story. I've never heard the second part of it. But yeah, I've never. Uh, oh, accidentally yeah. getting Carmichael angry. Yeah, exactly. Like, hey man, you dodged Stu. You, you know, you, you you got him angry, but you dodged him. But no, wait. Oh no, no. It's you screw up, and you get now you have the 450 guy mad at you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You have the goat. Yeah. Now you have the goat pissed off. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Great work, guys. Yeah. 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 Um, all right. Yeah. Good and stuff. I've talked to yeah. Jacob Saylor many times through the years about this. I'm like, God dang, you you know how badly people wanted to see you win, and he says he did know. He's like, I had people rooting for me all week and people I'd never met coming up to me and being like, dude, I'm pulling for you this week. Because <laughs> they wanted to see Mike lose. <laughs> I don't even know who you are, but go. Yeah. Pretty much. Wow. Pretty much. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. What a time. Yeah. What a time to be alive back then uh, at the races. Oh, yeah. uh, yep. All right. Well, thank you to Lee at Decal Works, uh, Scott Goggles, Maxis, Guts Racing, all on board with us. Loretta Lynn's stories. We're going to try to knock out one of these for during the break or while you're at Loretta's yeah. next week. Let's hope it happens. we got a big guest. Uh, we're trying to trying to lock it down. But, um, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, for this one, hope you guys enjoyed the Loretta Lynn stories. Thanks, Weege. All right.